Well, good evening. Welcome to our Wednesday night equip service. If this is your first Wednesday night equip, uh, basically what we do on Wednesday nights is we want to equip you, the saints, to do the works of God's ministry. And yes, we are called the saints. Uh, we, don't have to, we don't have to be perfect. We are the saints in God's eyes that get to do the works of his kingdom. And uh, if you haven't been here for the last couple of weeks, um, we've been in a series titled The Heart of Our Vision. And Pastor Sheldon has been going in depth of our vision here at New Hope Hilo, Hawaii, which is simply to reach the lost one relationship at a time. And so if you missed, a part, if you missed that series or if you want to go and check out any other series or messages, you can do that by going on our website at www.newhopehilo.org, all right? Uh, be sure you join us next week for our Easter play. Next week, Wednesday, we'll be having our, our Easter play. Actually, it all kicks off this Sunday with our Easter celebration kickoff. Uh, this Sunday, we're going to have our, our kids from Little Builders, Team Kids, U-Turn. They're going to be part of service. They're going to be putting on some music, and it's going to be awesome. So that's what's actually going to kick off our week of Easter. And then next week, Wednesday, we'll be having our Easter play. So instead of a message, uh, you'll, be, you'll be able to experience the gospel uh, in such a way that you can actually invite your family, your friends, uh, your neighbors, your coworkers, the person at KTA, Target, wherever you go, uh, to come and check this out. And it's really cool because it's a gospel that's, a, that's, uh, that's shared in an approachable and non-threatening way. And it's going to be a lot of fun. Uh, <laughs> should I give them a little detail, a little little sneak peek? Should I? Yeah? It's going to be great. That's the sneak peek right there. All right. So, um, yeah, that's what's happening next week, Wednesday, our Easter play. And if you miss out, if you can't make it to next week, Wednesday, we have our Easter play happening again next week, Friday. And then on Easter Sunday, we'll be having our Easter services at 7, 9, and 11. Just to make sure you guys know that there's some uh, time changes going on. So that's our Easter week, and I'm looking uh, forward to it. And if you want to invite someone, we made it really easy for you guys. We made these invitation cards. And so all you got to do is uh, tell someone, hey, you got to come check this out. Here you go. And when they go, what is this? Dream. You tell them, oh, it's, it's what's happening at our church. It's our Easter celebration week. And, and in the back of it, it actually has all the information. So that's pretty cool. So use this. Invite people. In fact, I'm, gonna, I'm actually going to uh, go tomorrow and wherever I go, I'm going to just give it to people. And when they go, what is this? I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna to just share it with them. And if they throw it away, that's fine. But at least I'm inviting people. And so that's what we have available for you guys. That's what's coming up. And uh, tonight... Tonight, I thought, uh, before we get into the Easter season and before we get into our next series, uh, I thought what I wanted to, I, I, I felt God say, I want you to connect everything. Because coming up after Easter, we'll be having a series about our church membership. And what, God's, what I heard God say was, uh, connect everything. And so tonight, if you don't mind, uh, what I would like to share is how we are called to reach the lost so that they can be a part of God's world. Amen? Uh, it's very interesting. Uh, <laughs> I remember when I was about four years old, 
four years old, and uh, my mom came to pick me up from, I think I was in preschool, either preschool or kindergarten, one of those. And uh, she picked me up, and she comes and she goes, hey, Benj, because that's what she calls me, Benj. And she's like, hey, Benj, uh, I got a really great movie that we can watch tonight. And me and my mom, we would eat dinner and we would watch movies. That was what we used to do when I was a kid. So uh, my, my mom was all stoked. You know, she was like, she was like oh, we got to watch this movie. You know, and so I'm a kid and I'm like, okay, mom, well, what's it about? And she starts telling me it. And so she goes, uh, well, it's a Disney movie. And as a four-year-old kid, I'm like, oh, yes. Because, you know, when you're a kid like that, you just love everything, Disney. In fact, I still do. And so she's telling me, it's a Disney movie. It's an animated movie. Uh, it, there's going to be action and there's going to be a, a battle between good and evil. And it takes part in the ocean and all this and that. And, and she's trying to tell me all these things. So as a kid, I'm getting all excited. I'm like, yeah. And so I'm all excited. And we, she makes dinner. She, we sit down. She goes, okay, I'm going to put on the movie. And so she puts it in. I'm all excited. And uh, those are little kids because my daughter does it all the time. Uh, as soon as the opening Walt Disney comes up, I'm like, yes, you know, because it's that much excitement. I want to watch this movie. And so I'm all excited until the movie starts. What was the movie? Little Mermaid. <laughs> and I'm like, Mom, like, I, I, I don't remember exactly what I said, but I know this was my attitude. Mom, what's this? Where's, where's the pirates? Because she said it was ocean, so I thought it was pirates. You know, where's the pirates? Where's... Where's, where's the, where's, where's everything? What am I watching, pretty much? That's what I was, my attitude was like, what am I watching? You lied to me. And so I'm like, there's no action. This is about a fish. That's a human. I didn't know what mermaids were. So I was like, this is about a, a, a human with a fish? I don't understand it. And I basically, I was like, what's going on? As a four-year-old kid, I'm like, what's going on? Mom, you tricked me. And, uh, and so we're watching it, and... She bought it for her. That's what, I, that's what I realized. She bought it for her. She was like, I'm going to trick my son. I'm going to buy this movie, say it's for him, but it's actually for me. So I was like, Mom, you bought this movie for you. You didn't buy it for me. But uh, so we're watching it. And surprisingly, I enjoyed it because there was something about this movie that I had never experienced ever before. It was the first Disney movie that I've ever watched that had music in it. And so I'm watching the movie, and, I'm, and so if you've watched Little Mermaid, there's songs in it. You know, like, Andarasi, 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 you know that one? And then there's, uh, Shalalalalala, my oh my, you know the boys who shy, you want to kiss the girl. Whoa, whoa. You know? That was my favorite. Like, that was my, one of my favorites. But, but then there was this other song that came on, and I kind of liked it. Some of you might know what this song is. It's that song that be where the people are. I wanna see, I wanna see them dancing, walking around on those. What's that word again? Oh, feet. Flipping your fins, you won't get too far. Legs are required for jumping, dancing. Walking around on the, what's that word again? Street, up where they walk, up where they run, up where they stay all day in the sun, wandering free. 
Wish I could be part of that world. I got tricked into doing that, so just letting you guys know. <clears throat> but, um, but yeah, actually, I actually really like that song. And you know, it's interesting. It's interesting. Did you know that that's God's desire for all his people? That they would no longer follow the ways of this world, but rather become a part of his world. And that's what we're going to talk about tonight. And if you have your Bibles, you can go ahead and you can turn to John 15. And you can follow along. And we're going to be in verse 19. Jesus said in John 15, 19, The world would love you as one of its own if you belonged to it. But you are no longer part of the world. I chose you to come out of the world so it hates you. And you can flip over to John 17. And here in John 17, verses 14 to 20, Jesus continues speaking in that. And what I love about this scripture is this is actually his prayer, his prayer before he gets arrested and eventually crucified. This is the prayer he has in the garden. He says in verse 14, he says, I have given them your word, and the world has hated them because they are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. I do not pray that you should take them out of the world, but that you should keep them from the evil one. They are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. Sanctify them by your truth. Your word is truth. As he sent me into the world, I also have sent them into the world. And for their sakes, I sanctify myself, that they also may be sanctified by the truth. I do not pray for these alone, but also for those who will believe in me through their word, that they all may be one, as you, Father, are in me, and I in you. That they also may be one in us, that the world may believe that you sent me. You know, a lot of Christians, they use the, these, these scriptures and they've coined that popular term, uh, in but not of. That we're in the world but we're not of this world. But if you look closely, although Jesus tells the disciples that they no longer belong to the world... He actually sends them back into it. Why? Because they experienced Jesus firsthand. And his desire for them is to fulfill the mission of reaching the lost. I was reading and I found this quote by this man named David Mathis. And he was writing about those two scriptures. And this is what he said. He said, Jesus' true followers have not only been crucified to the world, but also raised to new life and sent back in to free others. We've been rescued from the darkness and given the light, not merely to flee the darkness, but to guide our steps as we go back in 
to rescue others. I love it. You see, so many people are lost in the darkness of this world. And sadly, some believe that's all there is, darkness. Some are living lives they think that's all their world will ever be, dark. But there is more. You and I know that. And that's where you and I get to go and reach the lost and show them the beauty of God's kingdom. And that's the heart of tonight's message. That when we reach the lost, they get to be part of his world. I was in sixth grade. And uh, sixth grade was like the hardest year ever in my entire uh, grade school life. Now let me explain why. Uh, when I was in fifth grade, you know, you're the oldest kid in school. You know, you're, you're in the oldest group. And so it was okay. I, I liked it in fifth grade. But when, in sixth grade, when sixth grade happened, a lot of things changed. Uh, number one, I was no longer the oldest kid in school. I was now the youngest. And because I was the youngest, I heard many stories about, oh, the older kids are going to pick on you. They're going to beat you up. So that just really scared me. So that was one. Two, uh, my friends that I had back in fifth grade, a lot of them uh, were actually younger than me. And so when I actually went to sixth grade, a lot of them stayed you know, they were there then in fifth grade or whatnot. So that I was all alone. And the friends that I actually had that were the same age as me, believe it or not, they left. They ditched me. Like, as soon as we turned sixth grade, they actually made new friends. And not only did they ditch me, they actually picked on me. Yeah. And so that happened. Uh, another thing that happened was my grandma, who I had actually lived all the way, I had lived with, with my mom all the way to then, was dying. She had diabetes, her legs got, her two legs were amputated, and eventually she, she died. She passed away. And so all this is going on in sixth grade. All this is going on to the point where when I'm coming to school, I don't want to go to school. I don't want to go. I'm actually begging and pleading with my mom, 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 don't, don't want to go to school. I don't want to go to school. So bad to the point where she actually had to walk me to class because she thought I was going to leave. She thought I was going to run away. And I remember... Every single morning, waking up, going, Mom, I don't want to go to school. Mom, I don't want to go to school. I would actually force myself to get sick. That's how bad it got. I forced myself to get sick. And then when the days where I didn't, I, I actually went to school and she left, I would go to the uh, nurse's room and say, my stomach's sore. Can I go home? And sure enough, my mom could pick me up, and that was it. It got so bad that the doctors didn't know what was going on. They had to send me to a therapist, and... Even then, nothing, they, they didn't know what was going on. Neither did I. I didn't understand why I was going crazy. I didn't know why all this was happening. But there was one moment that stuck out that changed everything. Now, like I said, it was so bad that my mom actually had to walk me to class. She had to stay there. And she would stay there until she had to go to work. And I, often I'd beg with her, Mom, let me go to work with you. Mom, let me go to work with you. And mind you, this is happening when the class is even open. So most times, uh, the, class doors are, the class doors are closed, and all my classmates are starting to show up for school. So I'm putting on a scene in front of all my classmates, and I know that a lot of them are judging me. I know a lot of them are probably saying, oh, look at that mama's boy, look at that uh, weakling, look at that loser. All those things. Well, one day, my mom's with me at class, 
And again, I'm going, Mom, I don't want to stay. 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 I want to go with you to work. I want to go home. I want to do all these things. And one of my classmates, uh, I see him looking at me. And like the whole time I'm there crying for my mom, he's looking at me. And so he says this to my mom. He says, hey, auntie, Ben can hang out with me. Hey, auntie, you can go, home, you can go to work. I'll, I'll cruise with Ben. And so my mom, you know, being the mom that she's like, oh, look, son, look, one when, when, when classmate of yours is going gonna, is gonna to spend time, you know, hang out, wants to hang out with you. I'm like, no, I don't want to hang out with him when I go home. And my mom was like, you cannot go home. She was, she was, because she was already upset. She knew I wasn't really sick. She knew something was going on. So she said, no, you're going to, you need to stay. And your friend over here wants to hang out with you. Hang out with him. So she left. Now, when she left, I was ready for, for my classmate to turn around and say, why are you such a loser? Why are you such a crybaby? Why are you such a wuss? Why are you all this and that? But you know what's the amazing thing is? He did it. He actually said, hey, man, come hang out with me. Now, let me tell you something about this friend of mine. This friend of mine actually was one of those kids, one of those guys in, in school that everybody liked. He was a football player. Uh, he was the kind of guy that all the other guys would hang out with. He was the kind of guy that all the girls liked. And so he, that day, he said, hey, Ben, come hang out with me. And so I did. And I was always, when I hung out with him that day, I was always expecting for him to leave. Like, I was always expecting for him to say, oh, you know what, I'm good. But he actually took me with his friends. And all his friends were, were, were judging me. But he didn't. Because I remember as soon as he brought me with his friends, he's like, Ben, uh, he's like, hey, why are you hanging out with this loser? And they're talking about me. And I always remember him saying, nah, just leave him alone. He's cool, he's with me. And from that day on, I remember that was the day where, where everything felt okay. Why? Because I was finally accepted. My friend who said, Ben, come hang out with me, he accepted me because of who I was. He didn't care that I was crying all the time. He didn't care that my mom dropped me off. He didn't care about any of that. What he cared about was, hey, this guy looks like he needs a friend. So I'm going to be that friend to him. And sure enough, he was. And from that moment, I always look back at it. If it wasn't for that friend, if it wasn't for that moment, I probably wouldn't be here. I probably would not be social. I'd probably be antisocial and not doing this. And I look at it, and I realize that there's many people in our world that feel unaccepted. They feel like outcasts, neglected, and rejected by society and other people. But it's not like that in God's kingdom, right? It's not like that. You see, when we go out and reach the lost, if you're taking notes, you can, you can write this down. When we go out and reach the lost, they find acceptance and forgiveness. And how do I know this? Because if you look at where Jesus went, he often went and spent time with people that were regarded as outcasts, misfits, troublemakers, and above all, sinners. You can turn to Mark 2 in your Bible, and I love this story because it shows how much God it shows how much God accepts us. It shows how much Jesus accepts you and I and every single person for who we are. And if you read, if you if you if you're there, in verses fourteen to seventeen, it says, "As he walked along, he saw Levi, son of Alphaeus, sitting at his tax collector's booth. 
follow me and be my disciple, Jesus said to him. So Levi got up and followed him home, followed him. Later, Levi invited Jesus and his disciples to his home as dinner guests, along with many tax collectors and other disreputable sinners. There were many people of this kind among Jesus' followers. But when the teachers of religious law, who were Pharisees, saw him eating with tax collectors and other sinners, they asked his disciples, why does he eat with such scum? When Jesus heard this, he told them, healthy people don't need a doctor. Sick people do. I have come to call not those who think they are righteous, but those who know they are sinners. You know, I love this story of how Jesus is teaching the crowds. I mean, can you picture this? I mean, here's Jesus. He's walking around. There's crowds around him. And as he's walking around, out of, out of the corner of his eye, he sees Levi. He says, Levi. You notice where Levi was sitting? At a tax collector's booth. You know why? Because Levi was a tax collector. And back in those days, tax collectors were the most unliked people. They were. They were often greedy. They were often, they often took more money than they were supposed to from people. They, they usually robbed people of money. And so here is, here is Jesus, and he's walking. And, and yet he sees Levi, someone who everybody else says is, a, is an outcast. He's a sinner. And he actually calls to him. He says, Levi, come be my disciple. That's what he says. And did you notice what happens after Levi is asked to follow Jesus? It says, so Levi got up and followed him. In other words, at that point, right there, there's a life change. When Jesus said, Levi, come follow me, Levi got up and followed him. In other words, Levi said, the ways of my old ways of this world are done because I'm about to follow Jesus. That's what happened. Notice how Jesus didn't say that to someone who seemed righteous. He said that to a tax collector, an outcast, a sinner, someone who everybody hated. But that's what he said. And later, Levi invited Jesus with his disciples to his home as dinner guests, along with many tax collectors and other disreputable sinners. There are many people of this kind among Jesus' followers. See, I want you, I want you to catch this. Levi invites Jesus, after all that, after he follows him, Levi invites Jesus over for dinner. And not just Jesus, but his disciples. And not just Jesus and his disciples, but other tax collectors and disreputable sinners. I wonder, I wonder what the other tax collectors are feeling as they're sitting there having dinner with Jesus and the disciples. I wonder what, as the Bible clearly states, disreputable sinners, I wonder what they were thinking as they're sitting next to the Son of God. You know what I bet? I bet you they felt accepted. I bet you they felt they didn't feel judged. Picture this. It says Jesus, a lot of Jesus' followers were like that. Jesus, I, I, I thought to myself, Jesus, you surrounded yourself with sinners. And when I thought that, 
I realized it wasn't where he surrounded himself with sinners. The sinners were, were, were comfortable around him. That's how much Jesus accepted them. That's how much he was okay with them. It's, it's unbelievable. Pure and simple. But when the teachers of religious law who were Pharisees saw him eating with tax collectors and other sinners, they asked his disciples, why does he eat with such scum? When Jesus heard this, he told them, healthy people don't need a doctor, sick people do. I have come to call not those who think they're righteous, but those who know they are sinners. Pure and simple, Jesus loves each and every one of us and accepts us all. That's right. He accepts you. He accepts me just as we are. You know, Jesus accepted those whose society labeled as outcasts, misfits, and sinners. He accepted them right where they were at. And what, catches, what boggles my mind is he didn't wait for them to change. He didn't wait for them to change. He accepted them right where they were at. Think about it. God accepted you right where you were. And then your life changed. Right? And I'm so thankful because can you imagine if we had to change first? That wouldn't work. But that's not how God's love is for everyone. He loves us pure and simple. Now, it doesn't mean that he accepted their actions and their ways. But once he accepted them, it changed their lives. Forgiveness took place. Healing occurred. Redemption happened. All because he accepted them. And that's the heart of God. He accepts everyone where they are at. If you read the entire Bible, you will see that. You'll see that with Noah, with Moses, Rahab, with David, to the disciples and the apostles. That God accepts misfits, outcasts, and sinners to not only experience the kingdom of God, but to do the will of the kingdom. You see, you and I can reach the lost, but we must also accept them for who they are and let God change their lives. Not wait for their lives to change and then accept them. Our attitude cannot be, well, you know what, I'm gonna, I would love on this person, but they got to change first. That's not how it works. God didn't do that with us. God said, yep, you're not doing too good, but I accept you anyway. I love you anyway. We can't be the same. We, we, we have to be that way. You see, when people feel acceptance, their lives will change. That's why our vision is to reach the lost one relationship at a time. See, relationships are so important. Acceptance builds relationship. And when relationships are built, it allows us to speak into someone's life rather, rather than at them. If there is someone that God has pointed out for you to target, start by building a relationship with them. Because Jesus came for sinners. And if you can turn to 1 Timothy 1.15, I love this scripture because it always convicts me of who I am and what I am called to do. It says in 1 Timothy 1.15, this is a trustworthy saying and everyone should accept it. Christ Jesus 
came into the world to save sinners. And I am the worst of them all. That convicts me. You see, we got to reach the lost and we got to accept them. Because the truth is, you and I were accepted as well. Amen? You see, when we reach the lost, not only do they find acceptance and forgiveness, but they get to experience God's true love. And you can write that down. That when we reach the lost, not only do they find acceptance and forgiveness, but they get to experience God's true love. That's the second thing that happens when we reach the lost and we bring them to God's kingdom. When we bring God's kingdom to them, is that they get to experience true love. Love. It's a weird word, yeah, today. And I remember being in seventh grade and (laughs) I really liked this girl. Like, I really liked this girl. I I was so in love with this girl that uh, I remember it was Valentine's Day. And so we go to Walmart, me and my mom. And so I'm in seventh grade now, okay? And this is what I think love is. So we walk down the, the Valentine's Day aisle at Walmart and I end up just doing this to the entire aisle, just throwing everything into the cart. Because I was like, I'm going to get this girl that I like everything from here. You know, Valentine's Day. And so I just loaded the cart up with candy, stuffed animals. I don't even know what else I put in there. But I came home with three bags from Walmart, all for this girl. And I was all ready because, you know, I'm a romantic kind of guy. So I was like, I'm writing on poem and, and getting ready. You know, I'm like, okay, Valentine's Day, watch, watch Romeo do his thing. You know? And so, and so I go to school the next day and... And I see her, and, and so I'm like, you know, you know, like being kind, you know, and like, bye. Secret, I'm going, oh, cannot wait till I give her all that stuff. And um, we're, in, we're sitting in science class, and she, she has her friend give me a note. And so there I am sitting in my seat going, oh, look at that. Not even Valentine's Day. I work in the magic, yes. So I open it up, and all smiling, I'm all reading it, and I'm like, Yes. She ran in the letter, um, Ben, I heard that you liked me. Uh, my friend told me that you liked me. And she, told me. and she told me that you had bought a lot of stuff from Walmart for Valentine's Day. And this is the killer. She said, uh, if you give me anything for Valentine's Day, I will not be your friend. I remember being in, being in science class, just, <laughs> and, my, and she's sitting like three, three seats back. And I'm like, look at her, like, and I'm like, and I was like, part of me was sad because I was like, man, she pretty much just broke my heart. And the second one was like, what am I going to tell my mom? I got three bags of candy stuffed animals. What am I going to do with this stuff? And so I ended up um, giving it to my friends. And my mom, my mom, she, she, she asked me, oh, so, so what happened? You know, how come, how come you're not giving away the candy? I was like, because the girl don't like me. And, uh. She said, if I give her anything, she's not going to be my friend. She's not going to even talk to me. And so this is my, the line my mom always gave me. She, she looked at me, and she, you know, she hugged me. And here I am thinking I'm going to get consoling words, you know, comforting words. She goes, that's why you're too young for love, huh? You're too young for know what love is. And I'm going, my, why you looking just comfort me? And she's like, you're too young for know what love is. And it's funny because... I think, I think a lot of us, when it comes to the world, the world doesn't even know what love is, right? It has, 
you know what's interesting is the world has taken this word love and it's manipulated, it's deceived it. I mean, because that's what I thought true love was. I mean, I've seen it in movies, TV shows, music, and books and magazines. That's what happened. That's when I was in seventh grade. I thought that's what love was. And the reality is that the world took that word love and twisted it so much that it's lost its meaning. I remember back in high school asking my friend uh, what she thought love was. And she, she answered, when it's returned. And I actually remember thinking to myself, wow, I wonder if I'm truly loved. You see, the world defines love as a profoundly, and this is actually how the world defines love, as a profoundly tender, passionate affection for another person. But how does God define love? Himself. 1 John 4.18. Whoever does not love does not know God because God is love. You see, God is love. He's the true definition of love. People who are lost in this world don't know what true love is because they don't know God. They get lost in this world's definition of love and end up heartbroken. And in that, I'm reminded of my favorite parable. In fact, I shared that the last time I spoke. It's the parable of the prodigal son. You see, the prodigal son uh, is where Jesus uses to tell of how great the father's love is for his son. And after the son foolishly spends all his inheritance, all his money, he comes back home heartbroken and ashamed. But here's how the father reacted. So he returned home to his father, and while he was still a long way off, his father saw him coming. Filled with love and compassion, he ran to his son, embraced him, and kissed him. The father ran to his son and embraced him. And in the same way, God's love for us, that's the same way. That's his, love, his, that's his love for the lost. You see, he wants them to experience true love. He wants them to experience what it really means to be loved. You see, God gave his son up for us because he loves us. Romans 5.8. But God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. I love that. God, God loved us so much that he sent his son to die for us while we were still sinning. He didn't wait for us to become perfect and then say, okay, well, I'm going to send my son to redeem you. No, he died for us while you and I were still sinning. You see, how will people know of God's love? It has to live within you and me. You and I must be willing to go out into the world and reach the lost by loving them with the love of Jesus Christ. 1 John 4.11. It says, this is love. Not that we love God, but that he loved us and sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. Dear friends, since God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. No one has ever seen God, but if we love one another, God lives in us and his love is made complete in us. And 1 Corinthians 16, 14, and do everything with love. 
You see, in everything that we do, we're called to love. Love our neighbors, love our enemies. I love this scripture. You know, John 13, 35. By, by this, everyone will know that you are my disciples. If you love one another. If you and I call ourselves disciples, then we better be loving one another. And when we love one another, the lost will see that. We got to be out there and we got to be loving on them. You see, we must go and love people into God's kingdom. Because when they experience God's love, lives will change for eternity. And they will begin to love one another. And when that happens, that is true love. The last part I want to speak about tonight is when we reach the lost, not only will they be accepted, forgiven, and experience true love, but they will find out where they belong. When I was a senior in high school, uh, me and my friends, we used to play music. And so we ended up making a, uh, creating a band. And our band was huge. We had like 10, 12 people in it. And so I remember it was a lot of us, it was all us friends. A lot of us, uh, we did multiple things. So like for me, I was like a backup singer, backup ukulele player, backup keyboard guy, backup <laughs> pretty much. And so I remember uh, we were in the band and uh, we were doing good. But then something happened where everybody fought about what they were doing. Somebody wanted to be the lead. No, somebody else wanted to be the lead singer. Somebody else wanted to be the lead uh, ukulele player. And so all this was going on, all this was going on. And eventually, at the very end, our band broke up. And not only that, our friendships, our friendships really got, like, tested. In fact, I think what happened was uh, friendships were lost because of everybody fighting about what their spot was in the band. And I remember uh, after that happened, I graduated and everybody else moved away. And I actually started to think, maybe, maybe I'm not supposed to sing. Maybe I'm not supposed to play music. Maybe I'll just do something else. And right at that moment, Pastor Sheldon asked me, hey, Ben, uh, would, you, would you mind being a part of our young adults a worship team and also help with our youth worship team. And so I said, yeah, but inside I honestly felt like, I don't know, man, I, I really, I got burnt so badly by being in the band with my friends that I, I almost was willing to throw it away. And you know what I realized was I didn't belong playing singing, playing music or singing. I belonged worshiping God. That's where I belonged. And what's interesting is in today's world, everybody, everybody who is lost are trying to fit into this world, trying to find their place. But the truth is simple. This is not the world we belong to. Sin came into this world and destroyed God's original design for this earth. But God developed a new plan when that happened, that he would reconcile us or restore our relationship back to him through his son. And in that reconciliation, we would no longer belong to this world, but to him. I'll bring it back to John 15, 19. The world would love you as one of its own if, if you belong to it. But you are no longer part of the world. I chose you to come out of the world. You know, Jesus says that about his disciples 
that they no longer belong to the world but belong to him. And God's plan was that we would find our true place of belonging, not in this world but in his world. And in Ephesians 1.4, it shows that he chose us. It says, even before he made the world, God loved us and chose us in Christ to be holy and without fault in his eyes. We don't belong in this world. We all belong in the kingdom of God. We all belong to the body of Christ. Just as our bodies have many parts, and each part has a special function, so it is with Christ's body. We are many parts of one body, and we all belong to each other. That's what it says in Romans 12, 4, 5. You see, we must go into all the world and find people who don't know Jesus and share with them the gospel in love and action. Because all of us together belong to the body of Christ. You and I belong to the body of Christ, but so does every single person that's not in this room. You see, you have a part, I have a part, and so does each and every person on this planet. The DNA of our church is simply to reach the lost one relationship at a time. And it's so important because I remember how I was when I was lost. And I remember being lost and just looking at my life and looking at what was going on. And I remember thinking that if God loved me, why did all these things happen? And quite simply, he shared with me that this is not where I belong. All I know is I'm not home yet. This is not where I belong. Take this place and give me Jesus. This is not where I belong. That's the truth. See, the moment I came to know Jesus was the moment that I realized this is not my home. This is not my final destination. That this world is not where I belong. That although I may be breathing, I'm not really living. That there is something more for my life than, th- than just that. That I no longer belong to the ways of this world. That I belong to Jesus. And although I live in this world, I will choose to live for Jesus Christ while I am here. You know, there are people wandering around, wondering where they belong. In fact, there's some that think they're too lost to be found. But the truth is, there is always room for there's room for everyone in God's kingdom. In John 14, 2, it says, There is more than enough room in my father's home. If this were not so, would I have told you that I am going to prepare a place for you? Jesus is preparing a place for us in heaven, but we're not there yet. We're here. But we can experience the kingdom of God while we're here. And so can others. All they need is an invitation. Someone to go out and reach them. That's, why, that's what you and I are called to do. 2 Corinthians 5.20, we are therefore Christ's ambassadors as though God were making his appeal through us. We implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. I cannot stress to you guys enough. We might think this is only a piece of paper. 
But to others, it might be an invitation to realize where they belong. See, you and I are called to go into the world and love people, reaching them so that they would come to know God and become a part of his world. That they would get to experience the fullness of his glory, being accepted, forgiven, finding true love, and where they truly belong. You see, because when we reach the lost, then they can walk, then they can run, then they can stay all day in the sun, finally free, and finally be part of his World. You can put your Bibles away and you can put your notes away. And let us pray. Lord, tonight, that's our heart. Lord, would you break our heart for what breaks yours? And Lord, that is the loss. You want us to reach the lost so that they will find you, Lord. And how will you do that? By us. By your church. By your body. Lord, may we be your hands and feet. May we not just bring people to the kingdom, but Lord, may you allow us to bring the kingdom to them. May we reach the lost so that all will be found. Lord, would you help us to use these invitation cards to, to not just give out to people, but to, but to share with them, to invite them, not to our church, but to you. Lord, we all have a part. Would you allow us to play that part fully so that the lost would come and be accepted, forgiven, so that the lost would find true love, And most of all, that the lost would find where they belong. We're not home yet. One day we will be. And our heart and desire is that we would bring many more with us. Lord, we love you. And we thank you so much for being our God who accepts us just as we are. We love you and we pray this in Jesus' name. And the church would say, amen. Amen.